Good morning, listeners, and welcome to today's edition of News from the Drug, Drug Warfront, brought yep. to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy and the Connection. So Karma is a peer-based, community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving in the ACT. This show reports on and debates the deaths, misery, damage and harms which are caused by the prohibition of particular drugs that were enshrined on a global scale with the 1961 UN Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Although in the last five years we've seen some thawing of prohibition in some countries, sadly most of these policies remain largely unchanged throughout the world. We acknowledge the efforts and in many cases sacrifices of peers and activists throughout the globe who have contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs. News from the Drug Warfront aims to encourage debate and inform and educate listeners about the failure of prohibition. Mm. And you're listening to News from the Drug Warfront here on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM and the time is 10.33. And that I'm was Dave. I'm Dave, <laughs> and I'm joined today by Bryce and Marion. Yep. Hello. I'm here as usual. Um, and Jeffrey's away on um, having a leave break for six weeks. Yep. So good morning, everybody. And hello, Jeffrey, if you're out there listening to us. And a big shout out to Mary, because I promised I'd do one for her today. And I just want to tell you, Karma provides a wide range of services. They provide this show to you every week. Beautiful weather outside, except the wind's a bit cold, darling, so stay inside still and just sit in the sunshine inside the window. <laughs> like but a cat. When, oh, yeah, like <laughs> your can, like your cat does, yep. And we're not actually beer-based. We are peer-based for those people who don't very, understand very what peer-based means. Difference. And usually you all do by now. And Karma provides a wide range of services, um, such as peer treatment support, uh, peer education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services. The Connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Karma and The Connection are co-located in the Belconnen Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Belconnen Way, or Benjamin Way, sorry. The drop-in is open again. And hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. But your best bet is to ring Karma if you want to talk to somebody on 6253-3643 and make yourself an appointment with someone because there are limited numbers of people who can be in the office at any one time. And if you want to talk to someone privately, probably better to go outside if the weather's fine and sit somewhere maybe down in the park and talk to somebody about your issues because they're private and very intimate. And there are two, nothing more intimate um, about the way you live your life other than how you like your sex and how you like your drugs. Karma offers a walk-in health clinic with a doctor and nurse in attendance from 10am to 2pm every Wednesday. Peer education workshops include overdose management training, which um, Dave runs, and that incorporates a take-home naloxone kit. Muragadi, which is Connections um, Harm Reduction Peer Education Program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. And The Fix, which is a series of one-hour workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction and illicit drug use spectrum. If you're having problems with any alcohol and drug use or you don't know where to get help... Or if you just use alcohol or illicit drugs and you're having problems full stop, particularly with discrimination and stigmatisation, which we always get, get in touch with Karma. And if we can't help you, we can refer you to someone who can. And that number again is 6253 News from the Drug Warfront reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. The contents of this news from the Drug Warfront broadcast podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use, and we do not promote illegal activity. 
However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. As such, CARMA focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community, de and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. CARMA advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. And believe, you know, believe we all have... Um we all have human rights and we are humans and we deserve rights. So yep, live for that and so. believe in yourself and do not live with guilt or disappointment, which many people do. Mm, and yep. we're going to want to have a first song, yeah? Yeah, we're going to go to the first song and this is Avicii with Wake Me Up. Is that it? You're listening to News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection. So going off to our first story, uh, this one comes from Grant MacArthur in the Herald Sun on the 5th of May 2022. Health warning issued after fake black market Xanax tablets. And this is relevant to Canberra too, I might add, because mm. they're around, they're from the dark web. Yeah, I tablets. think it's relevant everywhere. There yeah. have been drug warnings going out in, yeah. um, well, certainly New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah. So fake black market Xanax tablets linked to at least eight Victorian deaths and many recent overdoses have prompted an urgent health warning. Health authorities last Thursday raised the alarm over round, white, unmarked tablets being sold illegally as Mylan or Xanax, but which instead contain a deadly mix of five unregulated benzodiazepine-type drugs. The warning came after Victoria's uh, coroner released findings into the death of a 20-year-old Melbourne man who had taken the black market Xannies, one of eight fatalities attributed to the pills. It also comes two months after a Herald Sun investigation first revealed crime gangs were flooding suburban streets with imported counterfeit benzodiazepines, fueling an, in, fueling an increasing rate of overdoses and 28 deaths in total during 2020. At least five people have been hospitalised after overdosing on the same tablets, prompting the Victorian Department of Health to issue an alert that counterfeit benzos are often more potent and unpredictable than prescription drugs. The health alert stated, even small doses have led to hospitalisations. Risks increase if mixed with other depressants. Mm. Known by authorities as new psychoactive substances, the fake medicines are made to mimic the effects of prescription anti-anxiety benzodiazepine drugs such as Xanax and are being sold on the black market for up to $10 each or $300 a bottle. Toxicology tests from the overdose patients identified five different novel benzos contained in the pills, bromazolam, clonazepam, sorry, clonazolam, mm. etizolam, fluoralprazolam and flubromazepam, none of which are ingredients of Xanax or any other prescription medicines. Now, I've never seen any of those names on any um, drugs, any mm. bottles of drugs that have yeah. been prescribed. And it also makes me wonder whether the um, Valium the the uh, generic Valium diazepam they have, yeah whether they have with like the al Alapam and yeah. the other ones whether mm -hmm. they are also uh, whether they contain as much Valium as they say they do mm. whether they've yeah. got other benzos in them as well mm. anyway sorry yeah. Dave to interrupt Go um on. so. <clears throat> Uh, highlighting the horror circumstances of the death of the man identified only as Mr S, Coroner Sarah Giebert warned that such overdoses were part of, quote, an emerging trend. Friends who saw Mr S taking what they thought were prescription drugs during a party on June the 28th, 2020, they later filmed him snoring in a deep sleep but were unable to revive him when he stopped breathing by 1.46pm the next day. It's a long time to wait, wasn't it? Yeah. Investigators later found a bottle labelled as being two milligrams of alprazolam, or Xanax, with Mr S's body, as well as texts on his phone revealing that he'd previously taken a Zanny with a friend. Oh dear Zanny, I wonder how many he took. However... 
Toxicology reports the drugs in Mr S's system were not Xanax, but non-pharmaceutical benzos, etizolam and fubromazolam, two of the same drugs responsible for the spate, the latest spate of overdoses. The coroner's report stated, and I'll quote, the available evidence suggests that he did not know he had ingested either of these drugs. Instead, he believed he was using alprazolam, or Xanax, that he had purchased illicitly from the unregulated drug market. Still quoting, Mr S was not likely the only person in Victoria to die after using counterfeit alprazolam, In 2020, the Coroner's Prevention Unit identified eight other overdose deaths during 2020 in Victoria, which involved both etizolam and flubromazolam as contributing drugs, and in five of these, there was direct or indirect evidence that the deceased person believed they were using alprazolam. Rachel Abushadid an emergency doctor at Bendigo Health, as well as a clinical toxicology fellow at Victorian Poisons Information Centre, said recent overdose patients had little idea what drugs they were really taking. Quote, we still see, we see the full spectrum of severity of these patients. Often these patients have a proud a profound altered state of consciousness. They may be found by friends or family in a public personal environment or even in a car. Uh, I'm still quoting, it can be so profound that a deep coma affects their breathing and we are often providing critical care resources. Mm. That's a real worry because I know that there are... uh, Alprazolam at the moment going around <coughs> Canberra, and but the tablets that I've seen actually have caught not are not the briquette looking like ones, mm. which are the Xanax as a rule, but they are circular and they do uh, they have quartered marks on them, mm-hmm. which you would normally expect to divide up into yeah. you know lower doses 0.5 being mm. a quarter of one of those tablets. So, it's, yeah, it's a real issue, and I think people need to be well and truly aware of that um, because the combination, uh, well, just obviously, I'd be interested firstly to know how many Alprazolam that guy took yeah. or how many of those tablets that guy mm. took yeah. um, and whether he took anything else on top of it mm. yeah. or underneath it because mm. often people will have alcohol first and that will reduce their resistance mm. to or in, increase their enthusiasm to take something else on top of it. So I wonder if there's any other combination, although that the coroner's report doesn't say it, I wonder if they test for alcohol as well mm. when they're testing for that if or whether they're just looking for alprazolam and testing that. Yeah, well, I'd imagine if they're running toxicology tests and... Do they know, count and they're finding all kinds of um, different benzodiazepines. They're probably testing for other drugs as well. But do they test for alcohol? Because my feeling is that alcohol is often at the bottom of a lot of overdoses. Mm. Yeah, that it's yeah. not just it's it's not just opiates. Everybody knows that opiates alone, if you're using it a usual dose, not of a new type that you've mm. just got that that combined with benzodiazepines can bring on an overdose for sure. And the uh, naloxone will only reverse the effects of uh, the The opioids. But if they've got alcohol in them as well Mm. and they don't test for the alcohol, I reckon alcohol plus opiates or opioids is a... There's a killer full stop. I'd be really surprised if they don't test for alcohol. I guess this highlights the dangers of getting drugs off the black market. Um, yeah, well, you it, don't really. There's certainly that, and it know. also highlights the combi- the combining of mm. drugs. Yeah, mm. um, and if you're using a new pill that you've never used before, don't take more than one. Yeah. 
at least let yeah. alone yeah. because we now no longer have pill testing mm. at raves or at you know like Groove and the Moo, mm-hmm. um, we're not going to know what's in the black market or the ones from the dark web. Yeah. Uh, so be very careful, people. Mm. You, um, we love you, and we don't want to see you dead. And we know that you mm. will try drugs, um, but be careful of the new ones. And if mm. you have any advice from the people you buy them from, take notice of that advice. And you have, if you have feedback, give to the person that you bought the drugs from. Yeah. Okay? If it yeah. affects you in a way that you're not ex- expecting, tell other people and be very cautious from then on. Well, you can't if you're dead, but be very cautious um, when giving them to anybody else, particularly yeah. given their size or their weight yeah. because mm. we know that um, drugs affect people differently depending upon how big or small you are. Yeah. How lightweight you are. But mm. especially if you've drunk alcohol or if you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well we're going to go into the next story here. And, uh, it's the report reveals the impact of opioid rules on people with chronic pain. And this comes from Rosemary Ainley from creakyjoints.org.au on the 10th of the 5th. 2022. Creaky joints, I love that. That sounds like me. It's more like me every day. Yeah. Did you know 3.4 million Australians lived with chronic pain in 2020? I can easily believe that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. If no action is taken, this number is expected to rise to 5.2 million in 2050, and that's a staggering number. Isn't it? However, Australians currently face a lack of pain services and long wait times to access pain specialist appointments. Mm -hmm. Chronic pain is has many causes including inflammatory conditions neurological conditions and injuries uh, and it affects people to different degrees for many their treatment revolves around medications such as analgesics or anti-inflammatories any analgesics such as pregabalin uh, opioids aspirin paracetamol and paracetamol with codeine are most are among the most prescribed drugs in australia Mm. and that first one is well, personally, is I, I know Regabalum. from experience, it, it's a dangerous one. Sure um, in June 2020, the Australian government introduced a range of measures designed to address the alarming number of opioid-related deaths each year. These measures included changes to the clinical guidelines and ongoing prescription regulations for opioids and other pain medications. The recent Pain Australia report titled Impact of Opioid Regulatory Reforms on People Living with Chronic Pain showed the results of a consumer survey conducted from December 2021 until February 2022. The survey received a total of 1,808 responses and an additional 1,920 social media engagements that included post reactions, shares and retweets and comments. Now, the report found since the reforms were introduced, a total of 37.7% of respondents said their opioid medication had been reduced by a health professional and a total of 18.5% had their medication ceased. Yep, they've been cut off and it's really horrifying. Mm -hmm. So the report says overwhelmingly consumers reported the reforms had had a significant negative impact on their quality of life. Consumers relayed stories of having their medications ceased immediately and being left with little or no alternative for treatment. They reported increased feelings of anxiety and isolation while having to cope with additional costs due to increased medical visits and inadequate funding for alternative treatment. 59.6% of respondents reported difficulties in accessing any treatment options for their pain management. 43.1% reported that their health professional did not offer an alternative treatment or support for them to manage their pain. And these issues were often compounded for people in rural rural and Mm. regional Mm. areas. In addition, the pandemic created more barriers to accessing other treatment options. For those consumers who were offered alternative treatments, 46.5%, The most common were allied health services such as physiotherapy and psychology support. However, many consumers reported that they are unable to access these alternatives due to costs. It doesn't do a a hell of a lot for pain anyway. Mm. 
While 48.6% of respondents did feel supported by their healthcare professional in managing their chronic pain, 34.3% did not feel supported. This group expressed their frustration through the survey, commenting that they believed their health professional was either constrained in being able to help them or did not understand the reforms or have enough knowledge about chronic pain. Yeah, and... Mm. Yeah, that's unsurprising, but it's frightening because a lot of doctors are actually very aware that they can be deregistered if they overprescribe mm. medications. And often what happens is that people go to private practitioners instead. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, the main themes of the book, we might have to cut off in the middle of this because of the news, but the main themes that emerged within the report were... One, the lack of access to alternative services available for people with chronic pain in the absence of medication. Two, difficulties in accessing medication, feelings of judgment and stigma. Well, we know about this, don't we? (laughs) Decreased in quality of life and poorer mental health. Increased visits to GPs and other health professionals, resulting in increased and unwanted costs to consumers. Then the need for education and awareness campaigns for consumers and health professionals. Pain Australia (coughs) believes the report findings emphasise the underlying urgent need for alternative support and treatments for consumers and show the significant mental health impacts on chronic pain facing consumers. While Pain Australia supports the intention of the reforms to reduce opioid-related harm, they state it's clear from the survey that many of the challenges that exist for people with chronic pain before the introduction of the regulations have been exacerbated. The report continued, continued, the introduction of the reforms during the COVID-19 pandemic has left consumers with chronic pain increasingly isolated, distressed and at a loss when seeking access to and affordable alternative treatments. Pain Australia says the survey results demonstrate that regulation cannot be the only solution to the growing opioid problem. Instead, we need to balance access to medications with providing and funding other multidisciplinary pain interventions. Kriki Joints Australia supports Pain Australia's call for increased support for people living with chronic pain, including the creation of dedicated helpline to address mental health and provide referrals to alternative pathways and support groups. Additional funding for new items under the Medicare Benefits Scheme to give greater access to allied health services and group pain programs and also continuous and additional education awareness campaigns to help reduce stigma and provide clear pathways to alternate treatments for consumers and health professionals. What can you do? You can help promote awareness of these issues by sharing the report with those around you, including your health professionals via social media. You can contact your local state and federal politician and share your concern about the effects of current opioid regulations uh, on people with chronic pain. You can help them become more aware of the issues by sharing the report with them and asking them to back Pain Australia's calls for change. Uh, And if you have been adversely affected by the current opioid regulations and are are not getting optimal pain management assistance from your health professional, raise your concerns with them and and ask them to help you find more suitable treatment options. If this approach is not successful, consider seeking new healthcare providers. Uh You could also join a chronic pain support group to get practical tips from others in similar circumstances. We might talk more about this after the news, hey? Yeah, so we're just coming up to the news here on News from the Drug War Front where the time is 11 o'clock. And welcome back here to News from the Drug War Front. You are listening to 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. We're going to go to a song now. This is Lord with Tennis Court. That was Lord Tennis Court. You're back here with news from the drug war front. Okay, so this next story comes to us from Ellie Stevenson in Honiswar, the University of Sydney Students Association newspaper, on the 8th of May. Can electoral politics fix our broken drug policy? 
With burgeoning support for ending the war on drugs, political parties may begin to liberalise on the issue of drug use. Now, drug use is a fairly routine activity for many young people. As a casual thought, the stuff of a night out or a gig or an overdue assignment. The stigma attached to illicit drugs has faded substantially, at least for the kinds of drug use most commonly engaged in by middle and upper class university students. Drugs are a ubiquitous cultural reference, an easy joke. Those of us who do not use drugs are increasingly likely to approach them with a sense of acceptance. In this context, it feels pretty incongruous that the wider socio-political approach to drugs remains hostile, punitive and counterproductive. Young people are not familiar with the sense that national politics is out of step with our interests. The disillusionment with mainstream climate policy is a clear example of where young people's attitude for change clearly outpaces our political elders. Yet the dissonance does raise the question, what would it take to make progressive drug policy an election issue? To answer this, we need to take a look at the party's drug policy at present. The Liberal Party's record on drug policy is reliably cooked. Their policy platform's only mention of drugs is in the context of having sent drug offenders packing. By refusing their visas, their history on the issue is intensely punitive, having several times tried to mandate random drug testing for welfare recipients, and their rhetoric on the issue is reliably condemnatory, emotive, and centres law enforcement as a natural solution to drug issues. The Labor Party's national platform treats the issue better, framing it as a health issue and supporting, quote, harm minimisation principles and better funding for health services. At a state level, Labor governments have been key, although inconsistent, supporters of medically supervised injection rooms, despite Conservative opposition. In the ACT, the Labor Party proposes the Territory's cannabis decriminalisation legislation. Nonetheless, it's clearly not a focus of the party, nor do they support more radical measures that would truly end the war on drugs and provide agency to users. The Greens have a distinctly more drug-friendly approach. Their platform openly supports decriminalisation and harm minimisation. And Greens politicians have been vocal public supporters of ending drug policing. David Shoebridge, former New South Wales Greens MP and current State uh, Senate candidate, founded Sniff Off in 2011, which opposes the use of drug dogs by police. He expressed frustration with the major parties' approach to drug use, telling Onisoire, compassion and common sense are lacking in the major parties' response to drug use. Criminalising drug use harms drug users and empowers organised crime. Everybody knows this, but the Coalition and Labor are addicted to law and order politics. If the conventional responses to drug issues are broken, can we expect um, electoral politics to fix something? Are you going to say uh, something, Dave? Uh, yeah, I'm just a bit concerned about the term addicted. We should really be saying dependent. Yeah, I'm They're sorry. dependent I on um, law and order politics. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised that they use that word, actually, to <laughs> stick it in there. Public attitudes towards drug use are clearly shifting <coughs> fast. Support for the legalisation of cannabis has doubled in Australia since 2013, probably since they've all been staying home for two years. <laughs> Decriminalisation is even supported for, from, by the United Church, Uniting Church, although it's admittedly a very progressive religious institution. They're the ones who are actually running the injecting room in Sydney, aren't mm. they, in King's Cross? Or they sponsor it anyway. Um Mm. Shoebridge suggested the demographic changes will likely feed into drug, uh, into change on drug policy, arguing, quote, as the TikTok and Instagram generation, start, generation starts voting and taking politi- political power from D2GB listeners, the tide will turn even more sharply. 
cursory consultation with other students suggested there is indeed an appetite for change. Several people said the drug policy was a main concern in assessing parties' policy platforms, with key demands being pill testing and decriminalisation. One student responded, it's more the vibe the candidate gives us gives on a drug policy that matters to me. I'm more inclined to vote for a party that has laws involving rehabilitative uh, politics for drug use, but I feel like that's mostly a party that has that kind of drug policy will... Sorry. But I feel like that's mostly because a party that has that kind of drug policy will have other economic social policy, policies that I agree with. Mm. Fun- yes, I just want people to be really cautious about the legalised cannabis party mm. because that is a bit of a worry. Yeah. That is a, a seems to me to be a one issue wonder mm-hmm. and yep. I want to be really want people to be really cautious. The name of the party does not necessarily indicate the quality of the candidates. Just do your homework. Yes, when have it comes a to look your candidates. about every candidate you vote for. Mm. Vote, please vote. But have a look at your, yeah. do, yes, do your homework. Use your vote carefully. Yes. Absolutely. Funnily enough, the young Liberals said they disagreed with the party on drug issues. But is this popular support sufficient to change parties' tracks on drug policy? One anonymous source suggested that despite the Liberals lagging behind on the issue, there has been some gradual progress, notably Parliamentary Committee 6 in the New South Wales Legislative, Legislative Council has referred a bill exempting THC from roadside drug testing, which, quote, will very likely pass as long as the ALP supports it. The same source suggested that MPs privately expressed to them that, quote, should a cannabis decrim bill get presented, it could have the potential of passing on a conscience vote. Mm. Perhaps then, as public opinion evolves, the reform will pick up pace. One clear barrier to change is that, faced with a host of policy issues ranging from climate change to cost of living, voters' preferences on drug issues fall by the wayside. Yeah, It's ultimately a relatively marginal issue. Additionally, with the bulk of direct drug policy occurring at a state level, although a bold national platform can impact the direction of drug policy, reforms are unlikely to be simple and nationwide. Shoebridge was clear that even with a surge in support for politicians who understand the evidence for drug law reform, these policies will only be won with a powerful on-the-ground campaign. On-the-ground campaigns are undoubtedly vital. The fundamental flaw of the drug war is that it willfully ignores the actual realities of drug use. It refuses to admit that drugs are fun that people have strategies to minimise harm and that there are structural issues that create drug abuse. These are all lessons that simply including drug drug users in policy processes can provide. Ultimately, top-down policy from political parties will never be sufficient without providing actual drug users with the right to Mm. self-determination. That's one of the words that we actually don't use, drug abuse, Mm. because calling a drug a bugger really isn't going to help anybody and that isn't what they mean by drug abuse. Yeah. Drug abuse is meant to mean not hitting drugs but Mm -hmm. using them. Yeah. And we know that people use drugs. I mean, that's yeah. a, just a fundamental given. Yeah. Young people know that people use drugs. Yeah. Everybody uses drugs, from coffee to, you know, the most prolific uh, black market and illicit drugs possible. Mm-hmm. Everybody uses some kind of drug. It's only the so-called illicit drugs that we are stigmatised by... Use from using, and we mm. are decrypt, you know, sent packing on. Yeah. And it is indeed, if you actually have a look, and this is something that I should want to raise, and probably apropos of nothing, the majority of women that have turned independent are, or many of them, sorry, the majority, that's a broad generalisation, but many of the women from the Liberal Party have turned independent rather than be part of the Liberal Party. Mm, So just be a tad careful of where preferences are going to and if there is going to be a coalition government 
because the lack of women in the Liberal Party doesn't mean that they won't be that some of the independents women independent women won't be voting on very right-wing issues mm. just that there are not many women in cabinet or caucus or in the liberal party as part of the um government yeah coalition at the moment uh, um, we're going to go to uh, the next song. You are listening to News from the Drug War Front on 2XFM 98.3. This is People Powered Radio. We can't do it without People Powered. Isn't that right, Maz? Absolutely. People oh, Powered Radio okay. is the best. And if you want to be a volunteer or if you want to get in touch, uh, become a partner, why don't you send a, um, a subscription or ring 2XX, mm. see how you can become a sponsor or a member of 2XX, and join the volunteers program yep. learn how to present yourself and if you've got a strong point of view and have a group of people who join you on that you too could produce your own radio program that's right all that information is available at 2xfm.org.au we're going to go to the next song this is make it stop with rise against great song there dave good choice that was um, Make It Stop or September's Children by Rise Against. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. listening to News from the Drug <laughs> Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, here on People Powered Radio. 98.3. That's right. Mm. FM. FM, indeed. Okay, so the next uh, uh, article... That's, that's me, I believe. That's you. Yes. What is fentanyl? <laughs> what is fentanyl and why it is behind the deadly surge in US drug overdoses? A medical, toxico- a medical toxicologist explains. That's right. This article was by Kavita Babu uh, from the conversation on the 10th of the 5th, 2022. Now, buying drugs on the street can be a game of Russian roulette. Well, yeah. Mm. From Xanax to cocaine, drugs or counterfeit pills purchased in non-medical settings may contain life-threatening amounts of fentanyl. Physicians in the US have seen a rise in unintentional fentanyl use from people buying prescription opioids and other drugs laced or adulterated with fentanyl. Heroin users in my community in Massachusetts came to realise that fentanyl had entered the drug supply when overdose numbers exploded. In 2016, my colleagues and I found that patients who came to the emergency department reporting a heroin overdose often had only had fentanyl present in their drug test results. As the chief of medical toxicology at University of Massachusetts, Chan Medical School, I have studied fentanyl and its analogues for many years. As fentanyl has become ubiquitous across across the US, it has transformed the illicit drug market and raised the concerns... Of overdose. Yeah, sorry, I've lost my page. That's all right, Dan. The risk of overdose it was. So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that was originally developed as an analgesic or painkiller for surgery. It has a specific chemical structure with multiple areas that can be modified, often illicitly, to form related compounds with marked differences in potency. For example, carfentanyl, a fentanyl analogue formed by substituting one chemical group for another, is a hundred times more potent than its parent structure. Another analogue, acetylfentanyl, is approximately three times less potent than fentanyl, but has still led to clusters of overdoses in several states. Despite the number and diversity of its analogues, fentanyl itself continues to dominate the illicit opioid supply. By weight, Fentanyl is roughly 50 times more potent than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine. Drug dealers have used fentanyl analogues as an adulterant in illicit drug supplies since 1979, with fentanyl-related overdoses clustered in individual cities. But the modern epidemic of fentanyl adulteration is far broader in its geographic distribution, production and the number of deaths. Overdose deaths roughly quadrupled, going from 8,050 in 1999 to over 33,000 in 2015. Then from May 2020 to April 2021, more than 100,000 Americans died from a drug overdose, with over 64% of these deaths due to synthetic opioids like fentanyl and its analogues. And we've actually been through this a few times on the show now. The... uh, the the potency of fentanyl is very high, and the difference between um, 
ordinary opioids like methadone, like morphine, is if you think about it, is that uh, morphine is actually prescribed to you in in milligrams, mm. whereas fentanyl is prescribed to you in micrograms, yep. Yep. which is like a thousandth of mm. a, a milligram. Yeah. So it's very, and it's very difficult to tell the difference between milligrams and micrograms and how much you ought to take. Mm. But what it effectively means is not much yeah. when yep. you're talking about fentanyl. It doesn't take much to overdose no. you compared with your normal heroin supply or your mm. normal morphine supply. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, the article goes on. Illicitly manufactured fentanyl is internationally synthesised in China, Mexico and India, then exported to the United States as a powder or pressed pills. Additionally, the emergence of the dark web, uh, an encrypted and anonymous corner of the internet that's a haven for criminal activity, has facilitated the sale of fentanyl and other opioids shipping through traditional, traditional delivery services, including the US Postal Services. And the only way I've seen it in uh, legally prescribed in uh, Canberra has been in patches. Yeah. yeah. But I might tell you that you don't know where the fentanyl is on the patch. Mm -hmm. So you may cut it up into quarters, but yep. part of that qu the quarter that you cut up may have none. Yeah. The bit you use and the bit that you don't use may have all, all of, of it, it. Yeah. Yep. or none of it. Yep. I mean, you just don't know. Just because you get a patch, it doesn't mean it's evenly spread no. over the patch. Anyway, the article goes on. Fentanyl is both sold alone and often used as an adulterant because its high potency allows dealers to traffic smaller quantities but maintain the drug effects buyers expect, expect opioid buyers, they mean. Manufacturers may also add bulking agents like flour or baking soda to fentanyl to increase supply without adding costs. We've had that propaganda for many years about street-based drugs, but it is true. Mm. If you buy something on the street, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. As a result, it's much more profitable to cut a kilogram of fentanyl compared to a kilogram of heroin. Unfortunately, fentanyl's high potency also means that even just a small amount can prove deadly. If the end user isn't aware that the drug they bought has been adulterated, this could easily lead to an overdose. I might add that car fentanyl was actually um, developed for use on animals, yeah. big, big animals, mm. to um, anaesthetise them for yeah. surgery. As an emergency physician, this doctor says, I give fentanyl as an analgesic or painkiller to relieve severe pain in an acute care setting. So that's under supervision. My colleagues and I choose fentanyl when patients need immediate pain relief or sedation, such as analgesia, for surgery. But even the, in the controlled conditions of a hospital, there's still a risk that using fentanyl can reduce breathing rates to dangerously low levels, the main cause, cause sorry, of opioid overdose deaths. For those taking fentanyl in non-medical settings, there is no medical team available to monitor someone's breathing rate in real time to ensure their safety. There still is, however, naloxone, mm -hmm. but you will need more naloxone if you're battling fentanyl, I suspect. Dave, you may tell me opposite. Uh, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily? No. no. Okay. One measure to prevent fentanyl overdose is distributing naloxone by, by two bystanders. There you Gosh, go. Naloxone <laughs> can reverse an overdose as it occurs by blocking the effects of opioids. Another measure is increasing the availability of opioid agonists like methadone and buprenorphine. I always struggle with that one, it's man. I'm sorry. Isn't it? Yeah. That reduce opioid withdrawal symptoms and cravings, helping people stay in treatment and decrease illicit drug use. Despite the life-saving track records of these medications, their availability is limited by restrictions on where and how they can be used and inadequate number of prescribers. Mm. Another strategy, other strategies to prevent overdose deaths include 
lowering the entry barrier to addiction treatment, fentanyl test strips, supervised consumption sites, and even prescription diamorphine. We do have fentanyl test strips, by the way, in Canberra, don't we? Yes, we do. available Through the needle exchange programs, as a rule. And at Karma. And at Karma, yep. Yep. Despite the evidence supporting these measures, however, local politics and funding priorities are often limit whether communities are able to give them a try. Bold strategies are needed to interrupt the ever-increasing number of fentanyl-related deaths. Especially in the United States. Oh, mm. Although issue. I might say we learnt last year, last week from one of our... Um, uh, one of the articles that we did that the overdose rate death in Australia is actually higher than the rate of death from car accidents. Yes. Mm. And that's something that yeah. we ignore regularly and mm. at our peril, I might add. Yep. Um, we haven't taken any notice of that and it is a very, was a very surprising statistic to me. We had not heard anything about that no. and I think that is to the detriment not only of the population, but it also speaks volumes about the lack of focus of um, opioid-related drugs or illicit drugs by the mainstream media, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Maz. Um, well, well, this is news from the drug war front. You're with Maz, Dave and Bryce. We're going to go to another song now. It's Hilltop Hoods and Recapturing the Vibe, and this one's been restrung. I don't know what that means, but it's been restrung. <laughs> Welcome back to News from the Drug Warfront on 2XXFM 98.3. You're with Dave, Maz and Bryce. Okay, so this next song comes from Nico Ravanilla, Renard Sexton and Dotan Haim from the East Asia Forum on the 9th of May. Is this the end of Duterte's politically driven war on drugs? We hope so. As a campaign to replace term-limited Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte has kicked into high gear, one hot topic is what will happen to his notorious war on drugs. Aggressively confronting drug dealers and users was a cornerstone of Duterte's 2016 electoral campaign. Duterte largely delivered what he promised, a brutal crusade that left thousands of people dead, alienated allies like the European Union and the US, and prompted an international investigation into human rights abuses. Although initially popular, the anti-drug campaign lost support over time as more and more Filipinos came to fear that they or someone they know would get inadvertently targeted. Because they did, Dave. Yep. It inevitably was their neighbours that had Mm. their kids kicked out of the house and their hubby or brother shot Mm. with dope planted at the scene and and a gun. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Inconsistency in police reports about the death of three teenagers in 2017 set off a wave of protests. A recent study indicates that up to a third of respondents who claim to support the drug war on surveys were falsifying their preferences due to fear. Of Duterte. Yeah. Duterte himself turned his attention to a similarly brutal campaign aimed at curbing so-called communist terrorism. In response to the shifting political landscape, the two current leading candidates for president, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. and current Vice President Lenny Robredo, have indicated that they would make changes to the drug war. They each aim to not be labelled soft on crime, but wish to de-emphasise what has clearly been a brutal crackdown that has alienated a growing part of the population. The risk of prosecution from the International Criminal Court has also become increasingly salient. And in fact, Duterte is one of the first people to be charged in the mm. interna- International Criminal Court, although they withdrew from, Philippines withdrew from the International Criminal Court Crazy, in 2019, yeah. I think it was. Mm. And that was after he started mur- his campaign of murdering so called drug dealers yeah. who weren't even often drug users. Yeah. Mm. The article continues. How was Duterte able to implement the constitutionally dubious policy with such brutal efficiency over the past six years? And why would the police stick their neck out for a policy that would make clearing other crimes more difficult by alienating witnesses and could leave officers exposed to retaliation? Numerous presidents have entered 
Melachang uh, Palace with grand plans, but most run aground in the face of quiet opposition or inadequate capacity in the national bureaucracy. Controlling the Philippine National Police is com complicated by the fact that under Philippine law, local mayors, quote, exercise operational supervision and control over the police rather than national authorities. Although international debate has focused on the national authorities' drug war implementation was driven, in fact, by the Philippines' nearly 1,500 municipalities, whose mayors used their discretion to either aggressively implement or quietly restrain the drug war. The choice of which strategy to employ was largely driven by political networks and patronage. Mayors who were part of the old patronage network associated with former President Noinoi Aquino, Aquino, Corey, I thought it was Aquino, uh, largely chose to slow walk the drug war. They had access to political networks to help them win re-elections without needing to implement such a risky policy. For many, it was out of the question. But the political mo motives for implementing the drug war were very different for mayors from small parties, independents or those not aligned with the Aquino network. Compared to their established counterparts, these outsider mayors received 40% less in public works procurement funds, the primary source for patronage for local politicians. Without these traditional resources needed to secure their long-term place in politics, outsider mayors resorted to a second option, aggressively implementing Duterte's flagship war on drugs. Although it was a risky to tie their own fates to Duterte in the long term, it would potentially allow them to win crucial backing from the president. Mm. Duterte, a former mayor himself, understood these incentives facing mayors without access to the lucrative insider political network well. If it worked, outsider mayors implemented the drug war far more aggressively than insiders to signal to Duterte their loyalty and alignment. Outsider-led municipalities oversaw 40% more anti-drug operations and were 60% more likely to have a police officer kill a drug suspect. Well, As far as we know, <laughs> many of the police were paid yeah. per head, per capita, mm, yeah. for the ones that they killed. So if you've got the coppers on your side by yeah. simply paying them per capita for the deaths of drug users or drug dealers, as they called mm. them. Yep. Yeah, you've got, you're on a winner. More bang for your buck sort of thing. Yep. This bandwagoning paid off. While local outsiders historically uh, had a harder time winning re-election than insiders, they had great success in the 2019 midterms during Duterte's administration. In previous elections, mayors outside of the main political networks were 20 to 30 percent less likely to be re-elected. But in 2019, outsider mayors—I've lost my post—outsider mayors that allied themselves with Duterte via the drug war achieved significantly higher re-election rates than former insiders. <sighs> what does this mean for 2022? Both Robredo and Marcos, being distinct political networks from Duterte's new insiders, meaning there is likely to be a renewed realignment after the election. Even if the war on drugs itself is scaled back, the next president may take a page from Duterte's book to use local politicians to drive their own signature policies. Mm. Continued democratic backsliding in the Philippines may occur, or attempts to scale back Duterte-era policies to more progressive alternatives might su succeed but they may be stopped based on the next president's ability to win local allies in a decentralised Philippine state. Mm. I have to apologise. Um, the screen next to me was moving at a rapid rate and was I it just completely was lost it where I was going, so <laughs> I do apologise for that. Never mind. Look, we might also say we've actually got Amnesty International on our side in the Philippines as yeah. well. Mm. They actually brought the case, I think, against um, Duterte yeah. and they've made a lot of noise on behalf of 
the so-called drug dealers that Duterte was targeting. Mm. Um, and Bumbum Marcos comes from a family, uh, a fairly, pardon me, crooked family, um, <laughs> from the uh, way distant <laughs> past, of yeah. course. Yep. But um, they were very rich um, for reasons other than drug important importation mm. or from buying the police they actually had their well, own it was essentially sources a kleptocracy <laughs> it, it was indeed and if you only had to look at um, uh, mrs marcos's um, foot i think it was a shoe collection mm. that they were really proud that they yeah, focused on most warehouses indeed she mm. was very fond of shoes um but yes the policy the it would be interesting to know what their policies were relating to drugs i suspect though that they will that the marcoses would be more inclined to want to be reconnected with the international community yeah. than mm. to be alienated by um, my feeling was Duterte took a leaf out of uh, Dodo's book mm-hmm. um, you know President Trump's book he was a little like that the strong leader yeah. version mm. not particularly intelligent not particularly articulate certainly had a lot to and in fact, Donald Trump was the one that made the most use of um, social media. Yeah. And he didn't use a lot of the mainstream media, uh, except, of course, Mr Murdoch's <laughs> news mm. as a rule. And I just wonder what will happen in terms of uh, the policy direction mm. um, and the media releases, how the, he will contact with mainstream um, voters and Mm. stay in contact and whether they will continue. Ferdinand Marcos virtually got himself elected for a very long time um, hand over fist and I think that's why they changed the laws and... Well, he wasn't really kind of elected no, he actually sort of <laughs> yeah. just got there, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, really? he was there by. He was, he was there. there because of America, of US patronage, mm. and he ended up more or less being driven out of the presidential palace at gunpoint. That's by right. They had a really large. had a really large American um, med, um, military base there yeah, because which, it was strategic for the Vietnam mm, War, wasn't it? And the yeah. so-called communist. Um, Domino effect yeah. that they were expecting all mm. the way down from China down through yeah. North Vietnam, South Vietnam, in Philippines, mm. Indonesia, and of course we would then become we had a reds under the bed, yeah. you know. But the US, I mean, they had a colony in the Philippines for quite some time, and that they, as you said, they had a very large military base there, which yeah. apparently they packed up just after Mount Pinatubo. Um, erupted Did because they? it was quite close to Mount Pinatubo and um, I d- I and that was an was absolutely vast volcanic eruption. It was I'm four times bigger than Mount that St. I did, that was Yeah, I don't remember that bit. I actually yeah. thought it had more to do with the end of the war than to any physical thing, but it's interesting mm. to hear about the yeah. um, about the effect of the... Because I really think, you know, climate change and there are other issues that are much bigger for the Philippines to take notice of, particularly yep. poverty mm-hmm. um, and the distribution of wealth and the distribution of health, if you like, and the extent of COVID in the Philippines. So I think, mm. you know, there are real problems there that have yeah. more to do um, or more that needs to be done in the Philippines and needs to be focused on than Duterte was prepared to focus on. Mm-hmm. He was not a very bright person. But we did tell our listeners that we would keep them in touch with Duterte yeah. because we've been following him since his election. Mm. And within the first six months of his um, his election, he had already killed some six... Oh, officially, we had the figures. We had already 6,000 or so. Um, mm. so-called drug dealers had already been murdered by him and the police. He used yep. to brag about going out on his motorbike at night when he was the mayor mm-hmm. of his whatever city he came from, Jeff would remember, um, and would go out on his motorbike and just shoot people. Yeah. 
yeah. because he could mm. and took his own because he was the mayor. And just think, how did, that was why I was so stunned when Jeffrey brought up the human rights thing that input developed, that as mm. drug users actually have rights. Yeah, yeah. And the human rights are the same as any other person, but they are. We need to know that we have them. And mm. uh, certainly in the Philippines, you're lucky to have a human rights as it's a sentient being, yeah, right. let alone as a drug user. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, I've, that's no, taken you right well, off the track, but it's just an interesting point. And we did tell the listeners we'd keep them up to date with mm. Duterte. He's gone, my darlings. He went on the weekend. Yeah. yeah. And it's an issue around human rights, which yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand is they aren't rights if they can be taken away. They're no, privileges. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you'll find in just about any society what they call your human rights. And our human rights in Australia are not constitutionally enshrined no, or anything enshrined. like that. They and can they'd... be taken away at any time. That uh... Or they can be just not applied yep. at any time. And we, they aren't necessarily... They're not rights mm-hmm. if they're not there forever. No. Yeah, and if they're not constitutionally enshrined, if you look at the Indigenous population of Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, where are their human rights? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much, let alone drug users mm. who are honestly stigmatised to the extent where you wouldn't think that, that we were people at all. Mm. Yeah. We, yeah. you know, not treated as if we have human rights. When, you, when Input put out that Bill of Human Rights, it was stunning. And mm. I was gobsmacked by it. And I think of all the people that I've known in my lifetime, some of whom are now dead and have died from overdose or died from hepatitis C and long-term I- ignorance of the fact of hepatitis C. So I remember everybody, hepatitis C is out there and it's curable. And there is a program on, a combined program with hepatitis ACT and yep. karma. To, and you get paid to clear your hepatitis C and get it put into the same condition uh, as if it was you never had hepatitis in the first place and never had anything wrong with your liver in the first place. You can donate your organ. That liver is well worth donating because it is clean as a whistle. Is it not? <laughs> and that's the DAA. The, what do mm. I, I always call it? The It's direct anti Acting Direct antiviral. Acting antivirals, not antiretrovirals, which is the the HIV drugs. I'm yep. sorry. Yeah, always get that wrong. We'll be back after a song. We've got Eric Clapton cocaine. We're going to have the last story after that. You're listening oh. to News from the Drug War Front on 2XXFM 98.3. Welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. That was Eric Clapton with cocaine. Maz, mm. over to you. Over to me. Okay, well, I'll start this off and then we'll let Dave do it, yeah? Yeah. Because Dave's, um, <laughs> it may Dave's, not be here yeah. next week. This is a, interesting, though. It's an international story from Thailand. Thailand's allowing people to grow cannabis at home. And, and to celebrate, it's giving away one million free plants. This is from Heather Chan on 7 News, the 12th of the 5th, 2022. Take it away, Dave. The Thai government will distribute 1 million free cannabis plants to households across the nation in June to mark a new rule allowing people to grow cannabis at home. Health Minister Anatin Chanvirakul announced the move in Facebook post on May the 8th in which he expressed his intention for cannabis plants to be grown like household crops. Yeah, we should get that. Mm. The new rule, which comes into force on June the 9, will allow people to grow cannabis plants at home after notifying their local government. But the plants will have to be of medical grade and used exclusively for medicinal purposes. Yeah, well, yeah. We I mean, you can, ab- you can apply there. a medicinal tag to almost any purpose. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I reckon I, I need it to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need it to get hungry. Needs must. Yes. <laughs> uh, the move is the latest step in Thailand's plan to promote cannabis as a cash crop. 
According to the World Bank, about a third of its labour force works in agriculture. And in a region notorious for harsh penalties towards illegal drugs, Thailand became the first country in Southeast Asia in 2018 to legalise cannabis for medical research and use. Good on them. The kingdom has also loosened local laws around cannabis. Thai drinks and cosmetics companies last year rushed to launch products with hemp and CBD, the compound that does not give users a high after their use was approved for consumer goods. Kitty Chapaka, a Bangkok-based cannabis entrepreneur, explained that the law was meant to pave the way for people to use the plant in medicinal teas or soups. She said it will be... It will still be considered criminal if you don't have a legal prescription and you have to be a patient of some form with some form of ailment for this to work. Only then will you be able to grow cannabis at home and use it however you like. She added that even though recreational use of the drug remained illegal, smoking weed will happen and there's no way that the government could stop it. Wow. Very, very progressive no, that's, that's standard. Mm. But, uh, look... My feeling is that that's probably the best way to come to grips with what's going to happen anyway, mm. you know, accept the facts and make it uh, a legally binding thing. But it also gives time where poverty is a big problem um, and tourism, sex tourism is a big problem, yep. um, particularly when they're doing things like... Um, raiding country villages, uh, recruiting girls from uh, the hills, mm. from hillside communities, bringing them over to Australia for sex work mm. in some cases. Um, and I just think that it's probably a good way of uh, reducing the impact of poverty and make, giving people uh, an income mm -hmm. because the use of the cannabis plant is so widespread. Yep. You know, there, there's virtually none of it that is not usable. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the news from the drug war front. Thanks, Matt.